I do love putting myself in those situations because people need to see the reality. Right. Like, why is it so expensive? Because we pay our work. Because well. you know, they, but they don't understand these things, yeah. and mm-hmm. it takes a mm-hmm. toll on our mental health. It yeah. really does. That, yeah. those, these are the pressures and stresses that yeah. people don't see behind the scenes, right? Mm-hmm. You're listening to Copper and Heat, the podcast exploring the unspoken rules and traditions of restaurants. I'm Katie Osuna. This episode is the last part in a mini series we're doing in collaboration with the Southern Smoke Foundation and Visit Houston. And we're addressing an unspoken thing in the restaurant industry that affects everybody in some way, mental health. Back in October, Visit Houston flew me out to podcast from one of the coolest food events, the Southern Smoke Festival. Over 60 chefs gathered in the city to cook and serve food at a massive event. But it's not just about the food. It's also a fundraiser for the Southern Smoke Foundation. If you haven't heard of this foundation started by a couple of food industry folks, they exist to take care of our own, as they say. She is Lindsay Brown, executive director of Southern Smoke. Chris Shepard, co-founder and founding director of Southern Smoke. This is Chris and Lindsay. They are the founders of the Southern Smoke Foundation. And the Southern Smoke Foundation has two primary programs, their mental health program and their emergency financial assistance both of which restaurant and other food workers can apply to for support. So back in 2018, after festival, we get a phone call. Um, it was like three days after festival. And it was an application that came in, and our executive director at the time called. She's like, we got to deal with this one. And there was a gentleman that was hit on his motorcycle and had uh, massive brain trauma. And was going through his third brain trauma surgery onto his fourth but they said, you know what, insurance is done. They're not paying anymore. So um, you're going to have to get him over to a high-end rehabilitation brain trauma center. Or um, until his mom, you're basically going to have to put him into a hospice and watch him pass. And that was the two options. And here's the third thing. You have two days to do it. So... Um, not being able to sell businesses, not be able to sell her home. You know, she lives in Kentucky. He lives here. She basically spent the entire month in the hospital with him. Um, and then was told that nobody knew what to do. There was a volunteer on the floor that was reading the Houston Chronicle that had given us, given a recap of the festival of the prior weekend. So the uh, volunteer helped them put the application in and it got rushed through uh, and they wanted to meet her mom wanted as Danny's mom wanted to meet us. Um, so we walked into the emergency or to his room. He was barely awake. Uh, just gave me a thumbs up and we gave him a check for a hundred thousand dollars. And, you know, every year we say, why, you know, why do we do this? You know, what, what, why so hard? So I was like, Danny, and, you know, Danny has a lot of long, had a long way to go, still has a long way to go. But um, this past festival, not this one. Um, Last year, 2022. 2022. Because I'll never forget, like, Chris Bianco calling me. I was like, right after, because we told him, hey, like, this is why you guys did this. This is the money that we're, we're using this money to do this. And he called. He's like, if I need to go over and make some pizzas for him while he's in the hospital, man, I'll do it. And I was like, Chris, I love you so much. But, like, I'm going to call on you. You just wait. And so this past festival, uh, Danny's 
in his wheelchair, but um, his mom rolled him up. He's got, you know, his thought process is a lot more cohesive now. He knew um, who we were and why he was at the festival. He knew it all. Um, and his mom kind of propped him up and helped him stand up and he made a pizza with Chris Bianco. And uh, I sat over on a curb and cried like a baby. And then as I stood up, another guy comes walking up to me and was like, hey, man, I just got to tell you this. You'll never know my name. You'll never know who I am. But because of the mental health program that you guys have here in Houston, my wife and I are still on this earth. And I was like, I'm going to go sit back down and cry again. <laughs> so it was just, these things work. If you're looking for support, visit their website, southernsmoke.org. And if you're in the position to support others, you can donate on their website as well. The annual Southern Smoke Festival is what brought me to Houston in October. Southern Smoke has been on our radar for a little bit now because they were big supporters of restaurant workers during the pandemic. So when they invited me to go to their festival and chat with chefs that I really admire, I was very excited. As these events usually go, it was a very busy few days, with chefs prepping in different restaurants all over town. There was a small chef lounge at one of the hotels in downtown Houston, which is where we recorded these conversations. I set up a little table in the corner of the space where chefs were coming in and out to grab their welcome bags and morning treats and had some very interesting and open conversations with all sorts of accomplished chefs, from food and wine best chefs to James Beard Award winners to all sorts of best of lists. And even with all of these accolades and accomplishments, they all, like everyone else in the restaurant industry, are on their own journeys of mental health, balancing the demands of their careers with their personal needs. In these three episodes, we're going into the chef's lounge to hear these conversations. And in this episode, I'm talking with Rima Seal and Carlo LaMagna. Hi, my name is Carlo LaMagna. I'm the chef owner of Magna Cucina and Magna Cubo in Oregon, both Portland and Beaverton. That's good. I'm 42 years old. I am 5'5". Five five. <laughs> 100 and some odd pounds. You like long walks on the beach? Long walks on the beach. You like to beach. forage for mushrooms? Born in the Philippines, raised primarily in Detroit, and trained in Chicago, Carlo is the chef owner of award-winning Portland, Oregon restaurant Magna Cucina. He grew a deeper understanding of Filipino food and culture while living with his father in the Philippines during his childhood. That led him to start the pop-up dining series Twisted Filipino in 2013 in Chicago. He continued that work in Portland until he opened Magna Cucina, which highlights modern Filipino cuisine. Carlo was named one of Food & Wine's Best New Chefs in 2021 and was nominated for a 2022 James Beard Foundation Award for Best Chef, Northwest and Pacific. Hello, my name is Reem Asil. I am the chef owner of Reem's California in the Bay Area, San Francisco. And, you know, award-winning author of Arabia, Recipes from the Life of an Arab in Diaspora. Damn, I want, I want, a, I want a cookbook to say <laughs> that. I want to say something cool. But I always forget I'm an author now. You are. You are. An amazing <laughs> author. Award-winning. Award-winning, now I can author. say. <laughs> Reem is a Palestinian-Syrian chef and activist based in Oakland, California, working at the intersection of food, community, and social justice. She is the founder of Reem's California, an Arab bakery and restaurant that builds community across cultures and experiences through the warmth of Arab bread and hospitality. 
Reem was a semifinalist for the James Beard Foundation Best Chef West Award in 2018 and 19, and a finalist for the Outstanding Chef Award in 2022. Before dedicating herself to a culinary career, Reem worked for over a decade as a community and labor organizer, building leadership to have a voice in their jobs and their neighborhoods. Reem also is the author of the 2022 cookbook, Arabia, Recipes from the Life of an Arab in Diaspora. I guess you got to start kind of not necessarily from the beginning to understand where we're going now, the direction that we are in. But, you know, in a nutshell, I've been cooking for a long ass time, about 25 years. Right. And somewhere down the line, due to traumatic events, it, it kind of jump started the process of opening a restaurant. So my dad passed away in 2009. So I, that's a very large focal point of of why I do this. You know, when, when, when you talk about mental health, you also have to talk about cultural pressure and, and, and family and obligation, you know, all those different things. And, and I didn't feel any of those things in a, in a negative light at the time. You know, when my dad was like, okay, you know, I'm proud of you. Uh, this is where, you know, this is what I want you to do. Or this is what I want you to at least stick to. It's like, just remember who you are and where you came from. So that small statement alone holds a lot of power. And it holds a lot of pressure, a lot of expectation, a lot of things, that, a lot of baggage that goes along with that, you know? So anyway, fast forward later, August 2019, August 15th, 2019 to be exact, is when the doors of Magna Cucina opened after a stressful time of trying to build it out. <laughs> Contractor dipped out halfway through, you know, found a bunch of cocaine in the in the bathroom. And I was like, you know, I get the hell out. And next thing you know, myself and, and my team ended up finishing the build. We didn't know what we were doing. We just had to open because we opened. Talk about stress, right? And so after opening that place, Magna Cucina, that you would think, <laughs> you would think that you would learn by then that, you know what, you know, it, it could be easier. It can be. We went through the pandemic, just like everybody else, went through highs and lows, went through pivoting, caught that word pivot, which reminds me of the couch and friends, you know, pivot. That's, that's every time. Yeah, pivot. Um, <laughs> But fast forward, you know, we, we now have a second location, uh, which is going through its own growing pains, Magna Cubo, which is amazing. It's fun. It's awesome. We love it. But it's going through its own growing growing phase. We're also in the process of opening a community kitchen uh, and event space, you know, and eventually another restaurant and a rooftop bar in Denver, Colorado. So mm-hmm. much like Reem, who I know <laughs> has these expansion and growth dreams and aspirations and stresses and, and everything comes with it. I think it's it's one of those things where it's kind of really crappy to say, but we've gotten used to dealing with pressure so much so that we've become kind of numb mm. to a lot of things that we shouldn't be numb to, which actually then becomes one of those things. It's like, oh, you know, we don't notice it, but a lot of other people notice it. It becomes embodied. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, oh, man, I, I, I shouldn't have went through that. Or, oh, we could have done that way differently. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. Um, it's, it's definitely stressful. Um, I broke, you know, just like two and a half weeks ago. I just remember I was sitting on the couch with my wife and I, I broke down crying. You know, I was just like, I, I don't know what to do anymore, that kind of thing, which is not healthy. Just FYI for people listening. Uh, you definitely need need people, community and to surround yourself with people that are strong or at least in a different state of mind to be able to process all the all the all the shit that we go through. You know, it's all, all of these things that build up inside of us that we become numb to. 
but are still there. And so when that cup runneth over, hmm. we shouldn't get to that point. We should be able to keep you know, kind of sipping at the cup to keep that water from overflowing. You know, we should still be able to take things in and to be able to share that cup with other people so that burden isn't so heavy on you. Yeah, I, I mean, I think just kind of echoing that it is not a secret <laughs> that we come from immigrant families. And so that's just like a whole other added layer, especially I think for me, you know, food was my second career and uh, my parents were already confused as to what I did before I decided I wanted to quit my job and become a baker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can imagine the amount of pressure and confusion they had, you know, like our family families come here because they want us to have a better life than they did at least from my experience I think my parents watching me struggle Mm -hmm. as trying to find my voice trying to you know belong in a country that quite frankly didn't feel like I belonged Mm -hmm. and then I was like I'm gonna be a baker (laughs) they're like oh god (laughs) is she gonna be okay so that's real and I I think I always knew that I wanted to start something like Reams, but I didn't know the pathway to get there and mm-hmm. worked really hard because that's what we know how to do. And I think for me, no matter what the career is, mm-hmm. trying to prove, you know, mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. accomplish all these things. I was very goal oriented. Mm-hmm. In retrospect, now kind of reflecting on this past 13 years since I decided to make that change was like to prove to my parents that mm-hmm. like I'm worthy. And that's that's a hard thing, you know? It's a hard thing to put your value all in what your accomplishments are because there's so many variables. And I feel very relatively blessed and privileged that I got some breaks along the way. Mm-hmm. But that's like a hard thing because it's never going to be enough, right? And when I got the chance to start Reams, you know, it was a series of pop-ups where I I had the fortune again of having an incubator kitchen help me an incubator program La Cucina help me move through that but you know we went from one farmer's market operation to five in like a year and a half and I had no idea what I was doing but I worked really hard like that's what we know we know I essentially talk about it like learning how to ride a plane while riding it Mm because I don't have that privilege of like figuring it out and then doing it. And I think it was in 2015 where I decided to like stop all my other jobs. <laughs> Cause I was hustling. I was like a bartender. I was a pastry chef. I was doing my consulting work from my previous nonprofit life all while I was trying to run these five farmers market operations with mm-hmm. little to no help. And taking that leap of faith to like quit all of that was the hardest thing I ever did and in fact I tried to quit multiple times had it not been for La Cocina throwing resources my way like I totally understand why people open businesses and close them a year after like I think I would have been one of those stories Mm -hmm. I almost imploded at five (laughs) (laughs) and then we got this beautiful brick and mortar space in 2017 and um and I faced backlash learned that I was pregnant (laughs) in the first three months of opening it and like so life kind of threw these things my way and I was like I I can't I can't fold you know like I gotta figure Mm. this out again that that sort of mounting pressure of like people are counting on me Mm. and then 
I think it was by the summer of 2017 when Food and Wine named us one of the best restaurants. Then it's like, oh shit, now we're in the national. <laughs> I like, I never expected these things to happen, and mm-hmm. and yet when they happen, you feel like they're like a blessing and a curse almost. It's like yeah. gotta keep going. Yeah. And I knew a baby was on the way, and at the time. You know, Reams was really still struggling. We were in our first year of business, and I got this opportunity to open this fine dining restaurant. And that point, survival becomes kind of the litmus mm-hmm. <laughs> or or the thing that you consider when you make your choices. So I made that choice. I literally had a baby, and a month later, opened this you know 120 yeah. seat restaurant, and that that became a bigger monster than I. Uh, anticipated and the whole thing is beautiful from the outside but it's a nightmare on the inside you Mm. know it's like how do you uphold all these things and it's so beautiful and you're representing the culture (laughs) yeah but yeah just like that mounting pressure and so I think leading up to the pandemic I felt this pressure because everybody tells you you have to just keep growing Mm. or Mm. you're not going to survive as a business Mm. and I really drank that Kool-Aid a little bit I I don't know if it, it may be the truth and if it is the truth, so God help us. <laughs> but Reams at the time, like we, we, you know, pushed into catering as kind of our mode of survival because we didn't have enough foot traffic in the neighborhood that we're in. So I yet again opened another restaurant, um, right? Literally three days before the shutdown. And yeah. so again, kind of another variable in the mix. And so each thing that was presented my way, I feel like I answered it the best way that I knew but I do think that some of the motivators is like we don't at least I didn't feel like I had the privilege of failing yeah like I couldn't fail like it's not a choice and somebody asked me this as you know Reams we're going through kind of our growing pains I actually like scaled down the business for the first time and that was really scary for me but somebody asked me what am I scared of and I had to really come into reckoning Mm. with that this because I've failed I mean you know I've walked away from partnership things haven't worked out yeah but what is that mounting pressure that Mm. we feel and uh I think for a lot of us we're like caretakers and we've gotten people involved in this journey and yeah (laughs) it's really hard to like admit defeat and that we're struggling yeah. internally when yeah. all of this is happening. Mm-hmm. I, I think a big part of that too is kind of, you just said it, it's failure is not an option, right? Mm-hmm. When, when did that become an all encompassing, all powerful statement that holds us? That's actually a real question. Like yeah. Yeah. when did failure is not an option? I mean, failure is mm-hmm. always an option. Failure is always there, yeah. but failure I feel like it's, yeah. How do we turn that around and embrace the the fact that failure is always there failure is an option how do we how do we be like okay i'm gonna deal with this i'm gonna manipulate and turn into my own and be like Mm. you know what failure is an option but it's less an option more choice like okay i'm choosing not to fail today Mm. does that does that make any sense yeah maybe it doesn't i just yeah yeah like thinking about failure not as an absolute yes yeah Yeah. it's like i think it's scary like failure is not an option it puts more pressure maybe yeah. unnecessarily so on us yeah as owners yeah. that are growing like we have people that were that are dependent on us yes but it's like it's like when somebody quits you ever you ever, you ever notice this <laughs> when somebody quits and they're like this place will never run with it's not going to run without me because i played such an important part right and you're like 
That's adorable. <laughs> you can, you know, keep going and then you'll see that this will be fine. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's like, it was a choice. You know, the failure to continue on this journey. Mm. It's not a bad thing. It's just, we grow and we turn to other things. And, and to me, failure, I look at it as like this kind of an advantage of learning moments, you know, it, it, trying to turn that negative connotation of like failure is not an option. I, I've, I've been working through this shit a lot <laughs> because God, I, I've had way too more failures than I have successes mm-hmm. and trying to start turning that into a much more positive spin, mm-hmm. both for my own mental safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Knowing that that pressure isn't, we already have a lot of pressure. There's a lot of shit on us mm-hmm. already, you know, mm-hmm. uh, on our shoulders and you feel that mm-hmm. if I could just take one thing, and just be like, you know what? L- a little less pressure. Because you know you're going to yeah. receive it unnecessarily so. Yeah. But this is the one thing that you can control. Be like, right. okay, how am I going to grow from this? I don't, I don't know. I, I think it's like on the flip side. Like I'm used to failing. The burden to accomplish, at least for yeah. me. I do think that comes from mm. like generational mm. trauma. Oh, yeah. We're like if we accomplish these things for the people and I think that's what attracts people to this industry is we can have purpose we can take care of people and if we can do that then we'll be loved right like I think that's something that I'm realizing it's like and if I don't do that then everybody will forget about me you know I think that that like just to answer the question of like what is it that I'm running away from it is and and this industry breeds that it's like You'll be forgotten. Mm. If you don't stay relevant, if you don't do that next big thing, they're going to forget about you. Mm. And like we do this because like it actually gratifies us to take care of people. It's like the way we show our love and the way that we feel the love. And it's it's hard because then you're always looking externally Mm. for Mm. that love. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Because we can always turn failures into learning moments and lessons but if like if we're forgotten or if we can't fulfill our purpose like oh shit then what is this for and i think i have these existential crises which are not healthy (laughs) because it's not that deep right like businesses are opening and shutting down every day but like for us we're carriers of culture Mm. we're carriers and it's like for you you can't even reconcile that i mean like a lot of us it's like yeah. I'm trying to do what the ancestors told me, but like the ancestors are not here to tell me <laughs> if I'm misinterpreting that. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I'm like relying on these inner voices right. in my head and the stories that I'm, you know, like mm-hmm. this burden that yeah. is just so deeply embodied. And I think that there are things that perpetuate that, that make it feel mm-hmm. like it's not okay to be like, you know what? This doesn't serve me. Yeah. Like, I don't want to take yeah. care of people today. Yeah. yeah, I well, need to take care of myself. Yeah, and yes. it's like, uh, I, d- I don't know. Yeah, I feel like that is not the, what we're taught. That is not the yeah. messaging that yeah. we get. So it's really easy to fall into that abyss of like, we yeah. have to keep going. I have to be stoic for my people. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, mm-hmm. I have to keep fulfilling whatever this purpose that I've given myself. Yeah. Well, and you both have like. I mean, obviously grown a lot, but also had a lot of, from outside, it looks like you've had a lot of success. Like you both have got really recognized. You've had a lot of really great media attention awards and you're still feeling all of this pressure to grow and continue to like put on this face and a lot of pressure from within the community, outside the communities, different things like that. So kind of to flip the question that you asked is like what 
does success look like for you as you're trying to like oh, figure this out for yourself and not go insane? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think the you know someone asked me that almost that same thing. It's <laughs> kind of in a very roundabout way. Why do you do it? Why do, why do we do it? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the end game? What's the end goal? Mm-hmm. For yourself personally, yeah, too. personally. Like yeah. co- going back to those things. Like I think about. Honestly, I think about my kids. Like, mm-hmm. you know, not everybody has kids, and that's yeah. fine. But when you do have kids, there's a little bit of a switch that 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 <laughs> goes on. It's like, oh, uh, yeah, I am no longer. It's no longer just me. Even yeah. if you just had a partner, it's no longer just me. There's somebody that's going to be carrying on. It's like if you're if you're the daughter of a serial killer, right? Right. Let's <laughs> serial serial killer podcast. Well, you guys didn't know this, analogy. huh? Right. No, but yeah. the legacy that is put on that individual yeah. sucks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It yeah. hardcore sucks because yeah. like, oh, now you're you're forever known as the daughter of. A or the son of a serial killer, right? It's shitty. And that's going to take generations for that to... You You look at histor- history buffs, they're like, oh my God, that's a great-grandson of so-so, Jesse James, this side or the other, and it's generational. Yeah. And then for at some point, it turns into into this weird form of fame, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, trust me, I'm not seeking fame. That's the last thing I, I, I ever seek. But one of the main goals outside of the, the whole professional part just you know making sure that i have a good place in in the afterlife somewhere good karma you know (laughs) is that what's the legacy that i'm leaving for my children i always tell people when i die and you come to the funeral what what's the story that we're going to share is it going to be us making noodles in a little hut over a flat top serving 100 people when we first met Mm -hmm. or is it going to be like a happenstance meeting between friends what's that story that's going to hold because that's the story that my kids are going to hear and that's the legacy I'm going to leave them. It's a legacy building thing, right? Empires crumble. Physical manifestations of what we do, such as restaurants and the food and everything yeah. that we do, it's, it's all, it's they all, it, they don't last forever. But what lasts mm. forever is the stories that people tell. Like, whether it's with the food, like, I'm, you know, ser- I'm serving uh, one of our, our dishes at Southern Smoke, it's going to be the crab fat noodles. And we were just talking about it. <laughs> and you just did a thing. <laughs> um, They're so good. But that's the thing. It's, it's like, I remember the first time I ate it. Mm-hmm. I remember the, mm-hmm. the, the story that's associated with mm-hmm. it also now becomes your story because you have a story to, you know? Mm-hmm. And these little stories, as small as they are, are very impactful on myself because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hitting my professional goals, which was to connect emotionally with people through the food that I serve. Mm-hmm. If you can feel the emotion and the story behind what I'm putting behind it, then I, I'm, I'm winning. And I've won many, many times over. I've failed many times over and have gotten, you know, I was screaming in the bathroom about these silly one-star reviews, which shouldn't matter to me, but it does because it's so deeply personal. Now, later on when I die, because it's going to happen, my kids are going to to then carry on this legacy, whether they cook or not. But they're, they're like, oh, you know, Papa was a was a chef. I my littlest they're one. They're gonna kid, call yeah, you Papa. Yeah, they call uh, me 50. Papa. <laughs> <laughs> 50, I hope so. They better. Uh, no, I, and and these three kids are different personalities. But what I want them to remember is not only the hardships of me not being there sometimes, mm. but also the good that I did in the world mm. for them to see. Mm. You know, when when my kids serve you. You know the food when they like, Papa. Can I go serve this food? I was like, Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. Go for it. Go run. Go be cute. Get that tip. I'm <laughs> <laughs> running around the restaurant is yes. the cutest thing ever. Yeah, so. but yes. you know, it's. I've always dreamed of a restaurant where my kids could feel comfortable. Yeah, where they can come in and feel like a sense of pride and ownership. 
mm. you know mm. and we do that you know they they love the shirts they love the swag my dad owns you know it, it, they, they're, they're a little braggart a, 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 a little bit <laughs> rightfully so i guess but you know they painted walls they you know mm-hmm. they put stuff together for me yeah yeah so yeah that's i mean I do think about my kid a lot. It's changed. Like my idea of success has like mm. it's evolved. It's mm. it ebbs and flows. I think that I'm a visionary at heart, so like I dream big. And yeah. then I think as life has kind of dealt its hands, it's like you can't do everything, right? Like you can't be superwoman and nor should you have that burden. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm starting to let go and be like, okay, what what can success look like if I can't get all of it? Like, what are the most important things? Because for me, I was like, mm-hmm. I want to be like the steward of my culture, you know, especially for Palestinians. Like, we're literally being erased off the face of yeah. <laughs> this earth, mm-hmm. right? So, like, what's my contribution to my people, right? Mm-hmm. And that's like the consciousness raising of people around our foodways here in the States, in the belly of the beast. Mm-hmm. That is something I control. And it's healing for me because at least I can stand in my dignity and fight this, you know, I mean, if we're talking about mental health, mm-hmm. the psyche of the emotional turmoil that like Palestinians go through every day mm-hmm. to just like exist mm-hmm. is a real thing. Yeah. So food becomes a healing thing and that's selfish maybe, but because mm-hmm. I'm like doing that own healing for myself, by the byproduct of that is Healing for all the other people who yeah. are watching and feel visibilized as a result of that. Right. That alone is a huge <laughs> undertaking. Then I'm like, I want to be like a sanctuary space for my community. You know, I, I'm a community builder, and like that is another healing source, right? So the restaurant becomes a manifestation of that, and that's why I have the restaurant. You know, it's not right. to prove that I'm like the most amazing baker or cook, although our food is delicious. It's like soul satisfying, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like I want to be a place mm-hmm. for. So that that becomes kind of a secondary goal and I feel like Reams has accomplished that and I Mm -hmm. feel very successful and thankful that we really took a community approach to do that Mm -hmm. and by that I'm nurtured right because I feel like there's this force field of community around me um, Mm -hmm. especially in hard times Mm -hmm. we want to provide good jobs and pathways then it becomes really difficult right it's like you start to add all these goals and it's like and I feel like we've been successful, but like Reams is struggling as a business as a result of that. Right. You know, I'm grappling with that. Like, what does it mean to be in the midst of an industry that is unkind <laughs> in the most expensive city in the world, yeah. <laughs> in the country rather? And like San Francisco, it's really hard to run a business with all these values. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, if you look at the numbers, you may say that we're not successful. But if you look at what we've built along the way, yeah. the community yeah. that we've yeah. built, the people I've impacted by mm-hmm. telling my story as a mm-hmm. Palestinian, mm-hmm. then I consider that successful. And I, yeah. yeah, I think absolutely having a kid really changed that for me. Like, yeah. that, you know, my child is actually half Filipino, half Palestinian, <laughs> Palipino, as we call them. Like, <laughs> to know that he comes from a legacy of struggle and that, like, his mom is talking about, you know, like, he... For him to ask me questions about that, that's successful to me. Like for him, he's like, mama. Like we had a buyout the other day and he helped me set the tables, you know. He's learning hospitality from a very young age. He 
hopefully his generation <laughs> is more feminist, more hospitable, more centering humanity mm-hmm. than the generations before that have mm-hmm. that's experienced the, the trauma yeah. that we've experienced. Yeah. You know, like that's what I'm trying to create as a model for him yeah. to see his mom, even though I'm working, I'm traveling, I'm doing all these things mm-hmm. that I'm creating this a better world than the one he came into. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he sees that. He's like, yeah. are we done with the students now? Because I'm like talking to the people. <laughs> he thinks they're students, right? Like when I talk to <laughs> are we done? Are we done, are we done, are we done with the students? Are you done teaching? Yeah. And so he might see me as a teacher, right? Mm-hmm. As I'm like talking yeah. to these crowds mm-hmm. about what this food is and what, you know, what this space is and, you know, how they're partaking in it. And to me, that feels like success. You yeah. know, if my son can see that and yeah. grow up and carry some of those ways of being, hopefully we have a generation that's more kind more yeah centering humanity than the one yeah the, gen- the traumatized generations that we've come from for right? sure yeah. but isn't it funny though like and katie you know this too from from your own successes and and reem as well is that the pressures that are put on us externally mm. through the public eye because we're, yeah. we're you know at the end of the day we're public figures we're yep. putting ourselves out there in the public because we're serving the public food Mm-hmm. And then the successes that they see or what they perceive, they're like, oh, you're killing the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's the worst. I am not doing anything yeah. that remotely resembles. Like, like Reem was saying, like, outwardly, like, what we present is what we want people to see, right? Right. Because nobody wants to hear the realities of it. And it, it it's very similar to that of, of seeing a head on fish on a plate. Nobody wants us to be faced with the reality of where food comes from. Right. Nobody wants to be faced with the reality of how we operate. Because if they did, then maybe, you know, they would spend a little bit more money. Like how many reviews have you had, Reem, where you read <laughs> where you read, Oh, this food is too expensive for what it is. I can make this myself, I could go do it, whatever. Yeah. That pressure <laughs> go sucks. Home and make it. Go home and make it. Why the hell are yeah. you here? Why'd yeah. you come? Um <laughs> FYI, I'm telling all of you not to come to Magic Casino. It's one of those things where with success comes a lot of things that even success, perceived success comes with a lot of things that you don't need. I tell people all the time, I have my ice cream. I'm very happy. If you know me, I love ice cream. Love popsicles too. They're great. Um, I'm actually a popsicle guy. Nonetheless, I have my ice cream in the sense of I have a great restaurant that serves a greater purpose to the community and I'm surrounding myself with people that I actually like mm-hmm. and want to work with and see every day and happy every day, right? That's what I want to see. And it's one of those things, it's like, um, it, it's, it's like, okay, hey, this is how, this is how it's, it, it's being handled, that perceived success. And then I have my ice cream, I have what I want to hold you. That's very personal, that's very selfish of me. Everything else, James Beard Awards or nominations, I never won, FYI. <laughs> Just, I never, I'm not cool enough. Uh, you know, food and wine, all these different recognitions on a national level. That's cool. That's all sprinkles and cherries. I didn't ask for them. I don't want them, but I'll eat them happily. You know, it's like, I'll accept them. But then again, it's like, uh, that's just, you don't want to lose sight of what, mm. of your ice cream flavor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't want to lose sight of my, of my, you know, my 
cookies and cream, you know, like or my mint chocolate chip, depending on what I'm feeling. Mint chocolate chip, yeah. yes. But you put you put a bunch of stuff on there, and next thing you know, you're like, it's too much. It's too much. Yeah. And then that cone falls, disintegrates. Your ice cream, like your ice cream falls on the on the. Oh, it makes you sad. You're like, oh my, ice cream <laughs> fell on the sidewalk. Uh, no, but it's it's things like you that. You can tell we're parents. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, in that in that vein, is that I I, I think that there's different types of success there's perceived success there's spiritual success there's financial success restaurants are definitely if you're financially successful as a restaurant somebody is suffering somebody is suffering at some level yeah you went corporate or you went this way or you went that or you went whatever whatever industry that you're not happy in you 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 made that sacrifice to be a certain level of whatever success may be you know anyway i think for us it's like yeah because we're like so conscious of that yeah like we want to spread the love you know sometimes to the detriment of ourselves and like trying to figure out a way i think for me like my restaurants have afforded me these other things that i mean i'm not going to be shy about it like i want to get paid right <laughs> yeah i know my restaurant is yeah. never going to That'd make nice. me the money that i want to be able to just yeah. survive i'm not trying to be rich yeah but it, it is important that we take care of ourselves so that we show up as the leaders that people need us to be yeah i mean i literally the name of my restaurant has my name on it yeah. right so yeah. it's like if i'm depleted yeah the business is gonna suffer right, right? and and that took me a long time to figure out because i always thought yeah. that that's like such a privileged thing to say that's like but so american it, yeah but, but it's like still. no it's actually real it's yeah. really real like mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. you're depleted you can't show up as the leader that you need to be right for everyone who needs it right mm-hmm. um but why, so why the, why the expectation like here's my thing though i and maybe you might find this yeah. sorry to interrupt yeah but well you said like i want to i want to pay my bills i want to go on a nice vacation yeah. like we want to get paid why is it that the further up you climb on this cultural ladder with the pressures and the mental you know in your yeah. mental capacity that they start thinking like oh you should be doing this for free i'm like well wait my the, your own community yeah. is yeah. like mm. You know, you should be donating your time. You should be doing this. So I'm yeah. like, okay. Yeah, it uh, just shows what they how they value you. How, like and, and it's extractive. Value? Yeah, right? I'm just like, ah. Uh, yeah. 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 No, but I think to the point that I was sharing, like we already have internal, yes, generational trauma pressures, especially if, if we have that like mounting on us. Then you have like the external, mm-hmm, basically mm-hmm. validating that they're like, yes, you should be doing all of these things. Right. You know, right. like it's noble to do that. Mm-hmm. We're gonna put you on a pedestal for having a baby and going and opening a restaurant. Like that shit is not normal, <laughs> and you shouldn't no. have normalized that no. because then I who who's feeling the pressure then get that messaging and internalize it and say maybe i should be like i'm getting the attention like that you know right and that shit is real too yeah but i think like normalizing that like yeah you should be taking care of yourself yeah you should be asking to get paid yeah all of those things like we need to normalize that more and i think that that will lead to a paradigm shift i think i mean i hope yeah (laughs) but right now it's just kind of an upward battle because then we get uh, either ostracized right i've been not invited back to Mm. conferences just because i asked for 
Yeah. Oh yeah. Some mm-hmm. payment. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So sense. it's like you risk that. You risk like not being quote unquote relevant. Right. You know, you you risk a little paycheck. <laughs> yeah. If you ask for more, I mean, there's all the things, right? And then when you say no, they they kind of scoff at you. They're just like, yeah. They make you and feel you risk bad. Your and you risk your ego being hurt. Yeah. You know, yeah. like then you qu- you gaslight yourself. You're like, yeah. Should I have done that? I you know. Right. Yeah. yeah, and that sucks too. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and that's that's why I asked the question about like, what? How do you define success? Because both of you said your kids and the legacy yeah. and like passing that on, and you both have also talked about generational and like yeah. community. validation and yeah wealth and I think you have also both said (laughs) like I don't know if I'm being selfish and like thinking about taking care of yourself and I just want to be a woman of the people yeah (laughs) I don't want to be seen as a sellout right so then it's like then it's like sexy to like be on the front lines but it's like no that's not serving me that's not serving right. anyone around yeah. me well and it's and like if you make that, it yeah. then you're a sellout so right. then it's like we're in this weird place where it's mm-hmm. like how does your joy not come at the expense of other yeah. people right like right and that's a thing that i at least personally for myself yeah. i mean for me it was it was you know kind of like we were talking about i i didn't i never set out to be and i, I don't know if you did but I, I never set out to be like this uh, prior. I never set out to be like a community because I wasn't. I wasn't in community. I was just yeah. a cook. Like <laughs> I cooked for twenty five years, right? And I just wanted to cook. I was selfish. I wanted to cook my food because I was hungry mm. and I, I missed my flavor. <laughs> so I did that. Yeah. And by default, you kind of attract. It's funny. I have this pi- these two pictures. When I first opened Magna Cucina, when the papers were still up an hour prior, I took a picture and there's no one there, obviously. And I captioned it: "Where are all the brown people?" <laughs> and then I took a second picture, like literally like 10 minutes after taking the brown paper off, there was a line around the door of Filipinos everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. And I didn't ask for that. I don't mean to, to alienate anybody else. I want everybody to come and enjoy the food. Cause that's as a cook, that's just, everybody should come enjoy the food. But then you become this, like you, you become a community hub. You not by asking for it, but you no, just do. Like I have, are yeah, I have it. friends mm-hmm. that are just mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, I feel safe in your space. I feel seen. I feel, you know, all these things, and I'm like, awesome. So, are you gonna pay your bill now or not? You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's one of those. But, no, but but I, it's not yeah. like I'm seeking. I, yeah. I I say that in jest because it's just like one of those things. Like, I'm, this is awkward. I don't know what else to tell you. Like, I'm not. I'm not like this there are so many other cooler filipino chefs out there you know in in my eyes in my eyes you know i I, (laughs) you know i always put myself it's just one of those things where where you're like uh cool like i don't know what to say to you like i I don't want to say the wrong thing i don't want to burst your bubble Mm. that you've built or this this dream cloud that you've built but i'm just doing this just like anybody else where like i'm trying to make a living right and I, I'm hoping that you just enjoyed it. You know, just yeah. That, yeah. that kind of thing. I don't know. I can relate to that. Like, right? I think the the projections yeah. that people have on you is exhausting. They're real, too. Very yeah. real. You know, and it's... I'm not trying to be, like, your your savior or your... Right. You know, like, right. that, that that is a lot that people put on you yeah. when they meet you. And it's like, you can't be human. Yeah, and I can totally tell why people who are in the public eye kind of get standoffish. And mm. Yeah, yeah. Like mm-hmm. it takes 
a lot, and then you have identity crisis yeah. as a result of it. You're like, <laughs> it's very true. And then when like, you become standoffish, yeah. right? They're like, oh, he doesn't even care for the community. I'm like, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you can't be yourself, and like, why? that's why I like hide when I get in my restaurant. Sometimes, like, I can do it. I can do it on my own terms, and I love being that for people. But I can't. Yeah, I can't have all of their wishes and hopes and yeah. dreams all like in this one interaction yeah. with me. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. a lot. I definitely dash dreams. Oh yeah. yeah, the fun part is dashing the dreams <laughs> when you're feeling oh, froggy, you know, <laughs> and you're at you're at the restaurant. Like, so I, I stand at the restaurant. I'm at the past. It's a very it's a very visual place. So yeah. They're like, oh, the chefs here. The chefs here. <laughs> and then here's the thing. Yeah. I grew up in. I, I was born in the Philippines. Grew up in Detroit, and then moved to the Philippines for high school and college. People may know that, but a lot of people don't. So they assume that I'm an American kid that doesn't speak the language, doesn't speak Tagalog, doesn't oh. understand anything. And my favorite, my what? favorite. Kind of is kind of fabish to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the accent. Um, my favorite part is when I'm standing there because it, it's a tiny restaurant. Both of you have been in it, yeah. and I can hear everything. Yeah, yeah. And then when the Filipinos start speaking in Tagalog and making stink faces, and they're mm. like. You know, it's why is it so expensive? Why is that? Why is the food this way? This isn't that. That is like, and if I'm, I'm right feel, here, if okay. I'm feeling especially froggy, like, froggy. I'll, I'll, oh yeah, I'll go up to them. <laughs> oh, how's your meal? <laughs> oh, it was good. It's like, then I start speaking to them in Tagalog. What And I'm like, oh really? Why? So what? You know, you, you had some concerns, complaints. I could see. I could tell this. And then they backtrack. <laughs> <laughs> that's my favorite time Ooh. oh my god it's yeah. not healthy I know yeah Talk about I was gonna health, say that's <laughs> not healthy to put yourself <laughs> not, in those put yourself in, yeah. but no but, but I do love putting myself in those situations because people need to see the reality right like why is it so expensive because we pay our workers because well. you know they, but they don't understand these things yeah. and mm-hmm, it takes mm-hmm. a toll on our mental health it yeah. really does that, yeah. those, these are the pressures and stresses that yeah. people don't see behind the scenes right mm. yeah this is this is a pressure that you know breaking down like at one point we like the, I didn't even know if the restaurant was gonna continue on I remember that in the beginning I was like oh shit what did I do mm-hmm. but then we got through it I want to say it makes me stronger it, it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't make you stronger. It just breaks but what at it, you. But what, it, yeah. but, but what it does, though, is that it makes you... And I've, I, I have finally come around to this because I'm a guy that does not ask for help usually. Mm. But I've, fi- <laughs> I've finally... Familiar. Hey, guys, want to pick crap later? Um, <laughs> no, I finally realized that coming from mar- from martial arts background is that your base is, is everything. Mm. You know, mm. The way that you hold yourself. But there's only so much that one can carry. But right. if you add a, a, another person... Or another another support, another system, you know, whether it's conversations between friends. Mm-hmm. Like if you're feeling the pressure financially and you don't have any answers, maybe someone does. Reach out to a friend, you know, call, talk, chat. Hey, like when when I talk to you about, hey, I, I I was thinking about a cookbook. Like that's another added pressure. But like to spread that pressure out a little bit more, you don't feel the weight as much. It's there still. Don't get me wrong, but you don't you don't have to feel the weight all the time. How do you do that? I know yeah. both of you. Well, and yeah, we I mean, talked about this like before. The, yeah. the, the, you know, obviously, Reams, we kind of function like a, a co-op. We're in the process. I'm trying to convince my, <laughs> like, you can just take Reams. <laughs> trying to convince my employees to buy it. That is my exit strategy. I mm-hmm. don't want to be mm-hmm. a small business owner forever. Mm-hmm. But I think 
and there is there's some burden lifted i, I want to say i still feel the pressure because at the end of the day it's my name on that transaction hasn't happened yet mm-hmm. but that shared burden does help but i think i at least speaking for myself and my own kind of mental health issues and and i think being a woman i mean so much of this is gendered too is like you don't want to put too much onus you don't want to like ruin the morale <laughs> right. of your employees um, so you mm. gotta like pick and choose kind of how to ask for help and how to still show up strong mm. but be mm. vulnerable and that's a constant balancing act that I'm doing with my own employees mm-hmm. but them seeing me as human is has been good Yeah. right yeah. like I think they know when the water has spilled over mm. and they're like mm. we mm. got this mm. yeah. and they, they step up you know, and I think that is a really powerful thing to know that even though the morale, it's hard, right? Because we're all sharing this burden. Right. We all see the books. We all see the finances that they can see, you know, that I'm a human, right? right? Yeah. That I'm mm-hmm. a parent, all, all the things that I'm trying to handle. Um, and I think that really helps. Um, I think, you know, the restaurant community is, for me, that has been really helpful like when we had to shut down reams for a little bit i reached out to other hospitality groups and it's like do you have this resource do you have that resource we're Mm -hmm. gonna do a buyout Mm -hmm. model you know and and everybody we should be sharing like we should Mm -hmm. not be trying to like Mm -hmm. make Mm -hmm. things from scratch you know like i think that that doesn't help anybody um and so i think reaching out and like people knowing like we've got your backs and it's yeah because they've benefited from reams so it's like it's almost like payback it's not a charity case it's not like they yeah. know how important and vital reams is to the community yeah. and they're gonna like help right i right. think it's about selling not necessarily selling but it really is you're se- it's you're selling your dream you're selling your ideology to people shilling it to see if people it's like a really awesome pyramid scheme <laughs> hey <laughs> hey buy this and you're gonna yeah. no it's like you're 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 trying to share your vision right i knew i knew i had an idea Mm-hmm. I knew I had a, I had a goal. I had a dream that I wanted to achieve, and I think along the way I inadvertently recruited people because of the way that I talked about it, the way that I presented, the, and how I carried myself as a human. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I sold it through not through through words, but through actions. Mm-hmm. Right? My my staff like talking about staff and the importance of it. There's this. There's a lot of stuff going around right now where you see, or like, oh, the restaurant isn't a family, isn't it? It's like I, I actually call bullshit on that. <laughs> like, I spend a lot of time with the people that are in those restaurants, and yes, it is a transactional relationship, but it is a beneficial community relationship. They could leave anytime. Mm-hmm. You know, you can quit. It's fine. Like, I'll miss you. I'll care for you, and you'll still be a friend. But like, now these things have intersected in my life. I am, have been privileged to be the officiant for two of my employees' weddings. Uh, I've been considered a godfather to, to children, uh, you know, things like that. I've become so integrated into their lives because of one thing. It's because I realized that the world doesn't revolve around me. All right. Yes, I'll say you my dream. But in, in doing so, in bringing you into this co- very intentional community, is that not only are you taking up my pressure i'm taking up yours Hmm. right Hmm. the shit that you go through i I know this because the things that go on for you at your house that negatively impact you will negatively impact this workplace Hmm. so how do i prevent that 
is there anything I can do? I'm not saying I'm the, I'm the answer, but I'm saying that I'm here to help. Because mm-hmm. you're here to help me, I'm here to help you. That's how I, I look at it. That's how I instantly get into yeah. these things. Hmm. A lot of trouble, a lot of shenanigans. Yeah. No, but like, yeah. but that's, that's a lot. It is, it is yeah. a lot, but then the best part is, as you build this strong base, it started with me and expanded to, you know, besides my family, besides the boys and, and my partner, it's expanded to Roberto, Kevin, Dante, mm-hmm. Lesser, all these, mm-hmm. all these key players. Just started as me, now it's them. Mm-hmm. And now, as a group, we can now expand and tackle other pressures. A cook called out, all right, my core group knows instantly how to fill in mm-hmm. and how to patch that hole mm-hmm. in a boat, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, I, I don't know much, but just having interacted with, like, your... Yeah, your yeah. The boys, <laughs> as I call them. Yeah. I call them my the children. Kids, my your kids. children. Um, my I mean, it, I think it's both, and I think it has to become a collective dream. Yes. Like, yeah. they need to be invested. Yeah, and, and if they don't believe in it, it they, that's fine. But, like, le- letting them put their own stamp on it. Yep. And I think that yep. that was something that I had to learn, like, Okay, Reams is not like the first iteration of what I thought it was going to be. I'm going to like step back and let it happen because you have to let go of some control Mm -hmm. because people have to feel bought into that dream. Yes, they were like inspired by me, but me alone can inspire them because I'm an imperfect human being. And eventually they're going to have their projections on me. Yeah. So they need to feel invested in some sort of way. Yeah. Um, I think we were talking about this yesterday of like also everybody comes with their own pressures and like while we're not social workers we understand that like everybody has a different set of circumstances and so how do you build that trust among each other right that creates that strong so the onus again doesn't fall on us Mm -hmm. i'm going to take care of this person's pressure and that and that it's like you build a culture of trust um and understanding so that like when you do have a line cook who is dealing with some traumatic shit that that does no call no show it's not the same experience as like the college kid who has like this is just their part-time thing who can no call no show like you know (laughs) what i'm saying like they can right right yeah so so understanding that we meet people where they're at but Mm -hmm. that there's Mm -hmm. also uh a real deep trust and respect that like we're all in this together right yeah um and, and that kind of i think for me has relieved some of the onus i yeah. hope I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna build on to what you said yeah. earlier i think people are inspired by you and they should be inspired yeah. imperfect or not because yeah. then they can see the reality and that because we th- i think the best part is a lot of people that are put on these pedestals or celebrities is that they don't show anybody their problems right mm. i feel like i've inspired more people and I think you have too and have created this level of loyalty through sheer traumatic experiences you know (laughs) shared struggle but also but also like one of those things is like oh you know Carla I got you you know like when I was having problems I can rely on them as well to kind of uplift us right but that's because of your doing sometimes that you're you inspired them by helping them and in return they're going to give back Aww. You know that, and that's that's how it always is. That for it's me, that's how it's become a therapy session now. It, it Thank has, you. Right? No, but like that's how I see no, see my people reminder. too. It, it, yeah. We try to decenter ourselves a lot because it's yeah. like, I yeah. mean, it's what I do, and yeah. we don't give ourselves enough credit. I think. But our experiences <laughs> are what dictate 
in my opinion, kind of our position sometimes in, in where we are. Like, mm. uh, Dante had a baby, cute baby, yeah. Mayari. She's adorable. And I have my three kids. I got Eli, Rishi, and Karen. When Dante had and Maisel had their baby, they were just like, oh, we Dante, Dante, Dante's like, wow, <laughs> now I know. Chef, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> like, now I know what you're going through, or now yeah. I know what you went through. I'm like, yes, now let me help you. Mm. Do you want me to watch kiddo? Do you want me to do this? What do you need? What you know? Let me be your support. And and every once in a while, I come with advice like, dude, have you ever? Yeah, because that is it's sometimes the help isn't necessarily an answer, but more so knowing that someone shares that experience with you, right? I just want, I just need. You need mm-hmm. empathy. I, I need, yeah, I need you to just be. Mm-hmm. You've talked a lot about what you have done for other people. What do you do for yourself? Oh my! Like what? Like one thing that you do question. to be selfish? I know, because I know it's not selfish. It's just taking care of yourself. But yeah. yeah, what do you? What's one thing that you do? I get massages. Nice. I think um, as somebody who experiences trauma like somatically, because we, I spend all my time up in my head. Mm. That like all of the body hurts mm. and it's actually what's carrying all the pressure so when i notice that mm. i try to take care of my body how, when, how yeah, sporadically how when have, I have you the learned time. to notice that like have you had to learn how to it's 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 not to be proud of i mean i i do wait too long until yeah. i'm like oh shit i can't turn my head mm. what is that all about mm. so i need to do a better job of just doing the preventative mm. but you can feel it you, yeah. you can feel it in the places where you hold your pain and they show up for me they show up in the lower back in the upper back i think when you're like in defense mode all the time you're mm-hmm. you're crunched mm-hmm. and i notice that and i try to like center when i'm like in the restaurant mm-hmm. <laughs> especially I'm like, yeah. okay deep breaths so i try to breathe more and lately i've been trying to drink more water it's a work in progress nice (laughs) I think those two things yeah I mean um, I'm the opposite instead of getting a relaxing massage I like to physically Physically. manifest my (laughs) my mental health outward yeah uh through pain, no, sorry. <laughs> but, inflicting no. pain. But, I mean, sometimes no, it's the other way around. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I, I take care of myself because I know that movement for me, or any any physical manifestation of what I do, is my therapy. So mm-hmm. I do a lot of martial arts. I still teach Filipino martial arts mm-hmm. in the community. I practice Brazilian jiu-jitsu, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, and I and I love music. So I play a lot of music at home, like playing guitar, mandolin, piano, whatever it is. But those thing, those actions are, 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 are physical manifestations, right? In jujitsu, I could be rolling with a doctor. I could, it's it's an even playing ground. So mm-hmm. there's no ego involved. And I think a lot of these things are me, one tampering down any ego that I would have. Mm-hmm. But I, because it's such a it's such a, there's always someone better than you out there kind of mentality. And mm-hmm. so I always try to be better. I always build on that. So that mm-hmm. to me is like a really good way to to handle stress and stress and pe- pressure. Mm-hmm. And it's taught me how to deal with stress and pressure because there's nothing like pressure or stress when a 275 pound man has his knee on your chest and you're like, how am I going to get out of this situation? Um, (laughs) It's really bad. Or there's a knife coming at you. What are you going to do? No, but like the martial arts have definitely been centering because it's good for my mental health. It puts me in a a different mind state. Mm. Like you were saying earlier, like the defensiveness is that I can now be proactive about everything i do now mm-hmm. like uh, you know, preventative 
right? It's what I teach. I teach, I teach like threat, threat assessment, threat awareness, you know, all these things. So how come I'm not doing that for myself? Like what mm-hmm. is a threat to my personal well-being right now? Mm-hmm. It is this thing. So how am I going to mitigate that? How am I going to mm-hmm. around it? And then the music is just calming. Mm-hmm. Like to me, music, putting together notes to make a melody, to put together a song. I'm not the greatest singer in the oh, world. Oh, it's amazing. But I love, I love <laughs> We all benefit guitar. from, <laughs> can't <laughs> wait for the karaoke. Karaoke practice, yeah. Karaoke later. I, I would also uh, say like, I, I see a therapist weekly mm-hmm. and I, I feel like that's the best investment that I've made in myself over the last three mm-hmm. years. It's helped me make some really hard decisions in my life. Everybody, like if you can find a way to get it like i am get a it. preacher of psychotherapy yeah. like find a therapist because that's you time right like it doesn't matter mm-hmm. you're not solving all your like problems in one session but it's that act of focusing inward is a really good practice with someone helping you facilitate yeah. that so. yeah 100 percent. well thank you for having us no thank, thank you, you guys so, great... so much Thank you so much to Reem and Carlo for the chat. You can find more about them and their projects in the show notes. You can come find us in uh, Portland, Oregon or Beaverton, Oregon. Come visit us at at the restaurant. We'd love to feed you and and show you what Filipino food is all about. Cool. You can find us in our bakery in San Francisco in the Mission District or come visit us at the Ferry Building. You can... Follow my shenanigans uh, <laughs> on the interwebs, on Instagram mostly, reem.seal. A huge thank you to Visit Houston for sponsoring my trip out to Houston and to the Southern Smoke Foundation for such an incredible time. To learn more and apply for their emergency assistance or mental health programs, check out the links in the show notes. This episode was produced by me, Katie Osuna. It was co-produced and edited by Rachel Palmer. Sound engineering and scoring was by Ricardo Osuna. Thanks for listening.